The year 2020 is finally behind us. Good riddance to a year filled with doom and gloom. More than 5,000 deaths now reported from COVID-19 across the country. And while there are many things we will remember about this awful time, Undoubtedly, one major lesson was learned about our classrooms. For millions of kids and teens, the return to school this fall will be virtual. Parents, teachers, and students across the country had to adapt to virtual learning. Potentially dangerous for our kids to go to school. It's also an impossible situation for a working parent. It is the single biggest disruption to education in our lifetime, and it will have an enormous lasting impact. Chicago's public schools have had the largest drop in enrollment in decades this fall by 15,000 students. And this may not come as a surprise, but the Federal Department of Education was woefully unprepared in many different ways. But one of the most basic failures is a failure of data. There is no federal tracking program for virtual learning, meaning no way of knowing which students fell behind or couldn't attend school during this time. Anecdotally, we could guess that the biggest impact was on the most vulnerable, low-income families that could not afford to deal with the new demands on their internet and parental supervision that accompanies virtual learning. Worse, families that lost their homes, lost caregivers, family members, and the impact impact that that had on attendance. But at the federal level, that is anecdotal, because there is no way of looking at the country and seeing the biggest gaps. If we could do that, maybe we could start to provide resources to address the problems. Yeah, we don't, we won't know very much at the end of all this, which is really sad because it's been a very hard year for everyone. And so That's Paige Kowalski. She's the executive vice president of the Data Quality Campaign, a nonprofit working to improve the quality and accessibility of data in education. And so to not be able to glean any insights about which decisions worked, which ones didn't, and you know, this is going to happen again to all of us. It just will. It may not be a pandemic but we've got hurricanes and wildfires and floods and blizzards. And um, we need to have a better understanding of which kids are impacted and how much and which kinds of learning models are working so that we're better prepared for next time. Otherwise, this was all for naught. I originally called Paige to talk about data issues, ones that we highlighted in a few of our other episodes. But before our interview, I noticed a story about how districts are dealing with virtual truancy during COVID, and it mentioned that there is no federal tracking program. This kind of blew me away, so I wanted to ask Paige about it. And it's, so it's true that there's like there's absolutely no way of looking at nationwide data about virtual learning and virtu- I guess virtual attendance. Correct. So it's what it's up to the sta- individual states or individual districts. Well, states always are in charge of, you know, their data collection and and defining, you know, attendance and, you know, all of their own data definitions. But when this happened, districts were kind of on their own. Attendance is looking, attendance looks different if a student is in a classroom than if they're online. Um, You know, and some days you're online Uh, with a teacher in front of you. And some days it's asynchronous, so you're not. So what is attendance then? And it's different district by district because you had different reopening plans because they were district by district. Those weren't statewide decisions. So the data is messy. 
some are doing grading, some aren't, some are in person, some have, you know, interim assessments and, and some don't. And I don't know where we'll be next summer and how much we'll be able to say that we know what happened this past year. And we'll, we'll know it anecdotally. We'll be able to say, oh, look at what this happened in this one district with attendance and with, you know, students with special needs or with their assessments. But you wouldn't necessarily be able to compare that to the district 150 miles away within the same state. That's incredible. I mean, we we kind of talked about this earlier in the season. We did an extra episode on um, the confusion around HIPAA in the pandemic and um, how, you know, Americans like to think this is the greatest country in the world. And the reality is when it comes to pandemic data, it was also all over the place and county to county, sometimes within a county, city to city, what you could find out was different and how that really um, hindered research in the beginning and also just like allocation of medical supplies and all, you know, data has an impact in all sorts of different ways. And it seems like that fits in with this conversation too. It seems like a similar scenario. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we collect data at, at these higher levels is so that particularly, you know, local control is great. Letting everybody, you know, address their needs in their own community. But when a crisis happens, um, capacity is very thin and people on the ground are trying to get everybody fed and housed and get them to school. They can't also be focused on these bigger picture issues and you're going to need your state governments to step in, but they can't do it flying blind without information. I mean, how could, you know, if a state knew, you know, instantaneous, you know, real time, you know, where do we need devices in my state? Where is broadband weak? Where are students not engaged? Starting to understand what, what is the learning loss and where and what can we do at the state level to start mitigating some of that. We could create a tutoring program, but where do, where do the tutors go? Where do I need to recruit them from at the state level? So... Yeah, it's the same thing. Getting that information, having it collected um, in a similar manner with similar definitions um, so that it's calculated in the same way. So you're comparing apples to apples across counties is really important. Let's take a step back. Why don't we know reporter Gabriella Paul looked at what exactly is tracked at the federal level and what we can expect if any of these issues persist next school year. So first off, it's important to understand the broader context of attendance tracking. It revolves around money, state and federal funding for public schools. In large part, states distribute funds to their schools on a headcount basis. So more heads equals more money. Then there's federal funding. In 2015, Congress passed the Every Student Succeeds Act, championed in part by then-California Attorney General Kamala Harris. Of course, now she's vice president. And this initiative gave states more leeway on how to define and track their schools' performances, impacting their federal funding. Historically, tracking included things like graduation rates and standardized testing. In 2015, this initiative required states to also begin tracking one non-academic measure of performance. 34 states in the District of Columbia opted to track chronic absenteeism, or when kids are absent for 10% or more school days out of the year. Overall, it's safe to say that normally school districts everywhere are incentivized to keep high attendance rates at school and keep good track of it. 
But that's in normal times. Yes. Now enter coronavirus. In March, the Department of Education waived all tracking requirements for the 2019-2020 school year. What do you mean waived? Well, according to the press release, former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos said that states could apply for waivers. These waivers basically exempt states' reporting of all types of data for the current school year due to the coronavirus. Among the waived data is attendance tracking. In short, there is no uniform tracking of attendance happening at a national level for this school year. So what happens down the road if public officials or parents or even the department want to look back at how K-12 schools fared during this time, the lasting effects of coronavirus on K-12 students? Well, we hope it doesn't result in a data desert, a situation where we look back and have absolutely zero sense of how education was disrupted. To get a sense of this, I requested the records from the department for every state that had submitted a waiver. I found that all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the Bureau of Indian Education had submitted one. Essentially, everyone has decided to skip data collection this year. Probably the most influential year in the lives of our school-aged children, and there's no data. Correct. I attempted to reach incoming Education Secretary Miguel Cardona through President Biden's transition team, though without success. So as of now, it's not clear if waivers for data collection will be extended into the coming school year. Or if Cardona has plans to remedy the lack of uniform attendance tracking currently happening. It will be interesting, however, to see if the department takes any cues from Vice President Kamala Harris. She made increasing attendance rates a cornerstone of her public service while in California. The only thing that's clear right now is that tracking will be momentarily and exclusively left up to state departments of education and local school districts. And what does that look like? Well, it's really hard to get a sense here. From what I can tell, though, state and district policies are wildly different across the country. Can you give us examples? Sure. There's actually one organization called the Regional Education Library that's compiled a bunch of these attendance policies. Take New York, for example, where you've got the New York City Department of Education. Their policy says that attendance cannot be calculated into final grades for this school year. But in terms of roll call, they are counting, quote, meaningful daily interactions, things like emails or online discussions for attendance. Then at the opposite side of the spectrum, you've got D.C., where they have a blanket policy that says all students in the district are considered, quote, present as long as remote learning continues. In other words, in addition to a lack of uniform tracking at the national level, the states or school districts are adopting such wildly different attendance policies on their own that it would be impossible to make any meaningful comparison even if we tried. Yes, precisely. Research shows that students who miss 10% or more of school days, that's about 18 days in most districts, are at greater risk for performance issues. And by sixth grade, it's the biggest indicator for dropping out. And so if researchers can't look back at 2020 and see where the gaps are... What's the long-term impact of that on students? I mean... What does that mean for their futures? It just means that any mitigation we might do is going to be too slow. You know, it may not be there. You only only go through third grade one time. And and you need to be able to be a, a really strong reader by the end of third grade. And if you're not, if it takes you years to come up with a strategy to mitigate, well, that student now is in sixth grade. You're no longer mitigating it in the fourth grade, but you've only just figured out how. So 
it is very urgent and there is no time to waste. This is Why Don't We Know. This extra was produced by me, Sarah Gannam, with reporting from Gabriella Paul. The associate producer is Tori Whitten. This episode was edited by Amy Fu. Music for this episode was composed by Daniel Townsend. Audio mixing was done by James Sullivan. The executive producer is Frank Lamonti. Why Don't We Know is a production of the Breckner Center for Freedom of Information at the University of Florida. A special thanks to the Hearst Family Foundation for providing the grant money that supported this reporting. For more information, please visit our website at www.whydontweknow.org.